For this morning, we are going to consider the topic of trusting in God. There are a number of reasons why I've chosen to go here and, and filling in this morning in the pulpit. And um, one of them is that our college ministry, college and career ministry, Crossroads, is going into a book study uh, called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. And it's an excellent book. I, the first time I, I read through the book in college, um, it, it really struck me uh, that a lot of the truths that I had heard as a kid finally started to come together and tie together in something that made so much more sense. And it was like something I actually started to rely on. And I realized trusting God is something that I do every day and with the decisions that are ahead of me and with each moment before me. So we just started our study of this, and it was a, it's a sweet, sweet book to get into if you haven't already read it. Uh, another reason is... Uh, for this subject this morning is it goes well with, and it's probably a further extension of the prescription that Pastor Ken has been talking about, a prescription for peace. As he's been in Philippians 4, we've been learning about trusting God rather than, than worrying. You know, some of you know very well what he's talking about is, is difficult. He's talking about panic attacks and anxiety, and you go, that's me. I'm on medication. I'm struggling. And some of you know people like that, and, and you understand kind of the depth of where, where that, that trouble goes. And so I'm hoping that this will continue to just build you up and build us up as a church so that we can understand this prescription for peace what it means to trust in the Lord. So hopefully to, to continue to help with that, because I know it's hard. Um, another reason is uh, we're going to look at a particular text this morning. I think it's very commonly understood by many people, at least commonly quoted. But I think at the same time, it's very commonly misquoted and misunderstood. And so I'm hoping to straighten out a few things that uh, may have been um, uh, unclear and maybe mishandled in a key passage that a lot of us have memorized, uh, written down, read uh, on graduation cards maybe recently, and uh, we'll be able to look at God's Word with the clarity that His Holy Spirit will give to us. There are other reasons, but um, in the opening chapter of Trusting God by Bridges, he covers quite a few different angles of how life is hard. Life hurts, and that's even the subtitle of the book, Even When Life Hurts. He covers a few things, and I've just kind of excerpted some of what he has said and pulled them into list format, and I, I wonder if they pertain to any of us this morning. I wonder if you have come in here this morning possibly feeling broken, down, anxious, worrisome, troubled, hurt, like he talks about here. He hits a few of them. First of all, he says the, a heartache of an unhappy marriage. He talks about a disappointment of a miscarried pregnancy. Grief over a spiritually indifferent or rebellious child. The frustration of dashed hopes and unfulfilled dreams. A career that never developed. The sting of injustice. 
the dull ache of loneliness, the stabbing pain of unexpected grief, the humiliation of rejection by others, demotion at work, failure that is one's own fault, things that are are sudden, traumatic, and devastating, or on the other side, things that are, are chronic, persistent, and just wearing. They talked about bearing the pain of others. So it may not have been something you've gone through, but someone that is near to you going through them, and you feel just as hurt as they're going through those things. You go through them with them. There is that category, obviously, of war, terrorism, earthquakes, famine, racial injustice, murder, exploitation. We're no strangers to that as you see headlines and news flashes of what is going on around the world and in our world, and some of it hits close to home. And then there are the things that are maybe not so global in their size, but there are the little frustrations, uh, the, the little anxieties, the little disappointments. The first one came to my mind had to do with keeping some, some trash bags on the shelf when I'm working really hard on a Saturday morning to try to get everything ready for Maggie's birthday party, and I'm working, boom, 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 I got all these things to do, and I'm going to grab trash bags, put it back on the shelf, and I could not get it in the shelf. Every time I tried to reach in there, I hit the shelf at the top, the bottom, and then I put the box in there, but then the, the roll of bags fell out, and I was like, Ugh, and I was just like picking up the thing going, ah, it's just trash bags, but it's so getting to me. And uh, so we know there can be enormous things, global in, in their proportion, or they can be the tiniest little things that wear on us and just, just frustrate us and cause us this kind of anxiety that's just unhealthy for our soul. Disappointments happen all the time. So I'm with you in that, and I wonder if we're together in that, and we need to turn to the Lord this morning. The question that came up in that first chapter was, can you trust God? Can you trust God? Let's let it just sit in the air for a second. Can you trust God or can you trust God? It needs to be answered two ways. Can you trust God and can you, can you trust God? Um, he, he speaks in this chapter of the trustworthiness of God. And he has a quote there I'd love to read for you, and I believe it appears on the, the backside and the bottom of your papers. Um, but it goes this way, and I found it quite helpful in my life. He quotes, and he says, God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. Uh, this quote really captured my attention in times of, of grief or in times of frustration, in times of, of uncertainty and anxiety in my own life. It, it kind of came to be known in, in my mind as I visualized uh, his love, his wisdom, his sovereignty as almost like a three-legged stool. Those may not be very common because you usually see four legs on a stool, but with three, it can stand, right? With two, it's just a matter of time before you, you know, tip over. Um, one, that's for the circus. Uh, but three-legged stool, okay, so you have something that can stand, and you can put all your weight on that. You can, you can sit on that and know that you'll be, you'll be safe. 
So His love always wills what is best for us. It is always there in all of our trouble, in our pain, in our sorrow, that there's love, and He knows what's best. Not only knows what's best, but He's doing what's best for us, and that's loving, even if it's discipline for us. His wisdom, and you might sometimes think, well, God, how in the world are you going to use this for my good? How is this loving? And we need to trust that He's fully wise, completely wise, and He knows exactly how He's going to use this trial. We don't yet, but He does, and you'll see If it's not in this life, it'll be the next. How wise it was that he allowed certain things to happen to us. And then finally, his sovereignty. If he was not in control, if he didn't have all power, then he could have great intentions. He can be just the loviest of doviest of gods. But if he were not able to bring it about, it would not matter. It would fall. We would fall. So some of us maybe have come in this morning feeling kind of bruised and broken, battered by life, strained and with our scrapes and our soul, because life is hard. Well, this morning I want to give us all a call to trust in the Lord. I hope this is encouraging to you. So, so let's get into the book of Proverbs. I want to take you there. If you haven't already, find chapter 3, particularly verses 5 and 6, but we'll read a little bit kind of leading up to that. Let me just tell you, first of all, as you're orienting your mind with the book of Proverbs, it's in the Old Testament. It's found in some wisdom literature with Psalms and You've got Ecclesiastes there as well, and so the nature of it is written a little different than the story type that we go through a lot of times, or the epistle type, where it's a letter circulated. This is wisdom literature. And the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, is written by Solomon to his sons so that they could learn the fear of the Lord and to be wise. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. A lot of times we think wisdom right away. You're right to do so. But if you think about wisdom in Proverbs and you stop there, you've just inherited a treasure chest with a lock on it and you don't have the key. The key to the treasure inside of the book of Proverbs and accessing that wisdom and becoming rich as you go in there is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And that key is laid, helpfully, at the very beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 7. So, so he lays it right there. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he warns, fools belittle or despise wisdom and instruction. So to fear God is the key that helps you unlock the riches of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. And you'll see that all throughout the book, there is uh, one saying after another saying that you might try to apply, you might try to see how it fits into life, but if you don't have a fear of the Lord where you recognize that He is God and you're not, that's going to become foolish and you're going to leave it aside and it's not going to help you. But if you have this kind of way of life where God is first and you are behind Him, you are bowed before Him, He is Lord, He is God, then the wisdom of this book will be just riches for you. And you'll learn what Solomon's trying to teach the spiritual youth. So looking now at chapter 3, as we get a little bit closer to our text, um, here is Solomon still trying to bend the ear and trying to reach the heart of the spiritual youth. And he says in chapter 3 that his aim is that, uh, that the Lord might be trusted so that the path of the youth might be straight. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we will find three parts of the command to trust in the Lord. 
There's three parts here of this command to trust in the Lord so that your path in life will be made straight. No matter how many times you get hit from every side with the dodgeballs of life, you can still walk straight and know what the Lord has for you if you trust him. He will make your path straight. That's what we're going to learn. Let's read it now. I'm going to read verses 1 down to 6. He says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now one more word on just the context here. In chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs, it is an extended introduction filled with these like sermons, one right after the other. This is the beginning of Sermon 4 that Solomon brings right to the sun because he's trying to get the sun to hear and to listen. And in this fourth sermon, they usually start off with my son. It's kind of an affectionate but yet authoritative appeal to the youth. Um, he, he's going to talk about these different command consequence couplets. So couplets meaning that there's, there's kind of two verses linked together. And in verses 1 through 12, I didn't read to 12, but there are six couplets put together where you'll see a command and a consequence in each of these couplets. So it's a really helpful mechanism. You're trying to remember these things and trying to see how they all work together. That's how he is uh, organizing his structure and his thought. So we're going to look at not the first, not the second, but the third couplet, whereas there is a command and consequence um, arrangement here. And so we find ourselves, first of all, that first point, the command to trust the Lord. I'll just read those first uh, words and into the beginning of six as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That portion has to do with the command. It's a three-parter inside this. The first has to do with trust. Trust. What I want to do with this, this first line in verse 5 is ask two questions, uh, the what and the how. So if you wouldn't mind kind of going along with, with me on that, we're going to do that. So what is trust and, and, and how to trust, or what does it mean to trust, and, and how should we trust? You see trust written in a lot of different places. It's probably in everybody's pocket if you have a dollar. Uh, it's something that comes up in company uh, team building exercises. You know, trust falls, and most of them go well. Um, and you have these, uh, you know, trust funds that uh, you do well to look into or many at least give attention to. Um, every quote on friendship seems to have trust in there somewhere. If you're to kind of do an exhaustive search. So what is trust? Well, um, trust, here's a starting definition One commentator, John Kitchen, is his name, he puts it this way, trust is the sense of security and safety, some important words there, trust is the sense of security and safety that comes from being under the care of another more competent than ourselves. 
So as a starting definition, trust is the sense of security and safety that comes from being under the care of another more competent than ourselves. You find trust there. Another thing I want to point out to you about how the Hebrew is written, there's always this kind of, in the poetry, there's always this kind of parallelism where there's one thought laid against another thought. So the, the words don't rhyme, but the thoughts rhyme. And so there's a thought here, and you say the thought there, and they kind of rhyme together like two different words, um, cat and rat, right? And so we're looking at verse 5, and the first line kind of rhymes with, in the meaning, with the second line of verse 5. So this is just helping us understand a little bit of what trust means. So look at what trust is paired up with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean, there it is, do not lean on your own understanding. So trusting has to do with leaning and vice versa. They, they work together, they rhyme together. So for understanding what Solomon is getting at here for what this word trust is having to do with, we'll be helped in seeing that it has to do with leaning on some, something, leaning on someone. So when it says trust in the Lord, you should already be kind of tilting toward him. Like, yes, I know what that's like. I know what that means. My life tilted toward the Lord. My, my life leaning, relying, resting on the Lord. Uh, trust is, um, I think, very common in human um, life. We look all around in, in different ways. You, you see trust. Investors trust. Um, athletes trust. Consumers trust. Citizens trust. Students trust. Uh, I was even at the pool the other day with with my daughter, with my family, and you know now it's pool time, right? And so we're swimming around, and and it's really sweet because now Maggie's friends from school come, you know, running out there, and she sees them. And, I I know you, and so we hear that. I know you. Oh, cool! Another girl, probably from school that she knows or knows her, and sure enough, they start talking, and they're you know they're swimming together and and having a blast, and. You know, like seven-year-olds, we get into talking about piercing ears. I don't know why. Um, you know, and so that's like second most important thing to talk about as a seven-year-old girl, I guess. Um, you know, uh, you know, I got my ears pierced. Did you get your ears pierced? And, you know, and Maggie's just kind of like, yeah, you know. And, and then this little girl, you know, right away she goes, I went to Claire's. Claire's is the only place that my mom will trust because it's the only place we know. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Full proof right there. It's the only place you know, so go there. Uh, but, you know, but that's a big deal for a girl. I mean, to have something metal stabbed through a part of your body, it's kind of like, oh, oh okay, it's just the ear. That's okay. Other girls are doing it. Okay, uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, one way, one thing or another about piercings. Uh, it's a whole other topic. But, you know, this little girl talking about, like, she could trust Claire's because they're known for hopefully not messing up too many ears, right? And so, so she, you know, she felt like she could rely in a time of, you know, where she might have felt, you know, a little bit vulnerable or scared. That was, that was where she could trust. And so, and, and so that's just very common to man. All of us are doing it. You're doing it this morning very well in the chairs you sit on. So let's talk about how you should trust. So how should we trust? Well, he's helping us by giving us more words. Trust in the Lord. There you go, first of all. And then with all your heart. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now you have to imagine that when Solomon is talking with the youth and he's saying to lean or to trust, rely upon the Lord, 
Hebrew, Yahweh, that word, that name, Yahweh, is special. It's significant. It stands out. It's not like trust in God or the idea of a a higher force or something that is above us all that we all are trying to grasp at. No, Yahweh is the personal name for the Lord, for the God of Israel. So it implies that there's a relationship there. Rely upon the one who we know. Lean on the one that we talk to and, and talks with us. Trust in Yahweh. He gives direction to his people. He brought us out of slavery. He rescued us, and we live to tell the story. He continues to lead us, especially when we're wandering and we don't know. He goes before us always. He gave us clarity as to how we should live. And he's made these special covenants, these promises with us that he is never going to break. Yahweh, trust in him. Trust in the one who protects, who promises and fulfills. Trust in him that no matter how much we fail him, he continues to endure and to persevere with us. Trust in him, the one who has demonstrated his power over all other powers with the plagues in Egypt. Or when Christ came and conquered the grave, he had the name above all other names. There is no other name that you could know that is higher than Jesus. Lean on him. Trust in that name. Know him. The relationship that you have with him is important, and it requires a full leaning upon him. So how to trust Well, lean in the Lord, trust in the Lord, Yahweh, who has proven himself to be trustworthy and all-powerful and loving and wise. And he says to do this with all your heart, with all your heart. Now, this gets, you know, not only to all of who the Lord is, but all of who you are. So it's basically saying, take all of who you are, your heart involves everything about you. And, and, and lean it completely on all that who he is. And so that is this very intimate, full contact, all of you out there, nothing left back on the Lord. It involves your mind and your thoughts. It involves your will and, and your decision-making. It involves your desires your dreams, your treasures, the things that you're wanting, the things that you're after, the things that you think about, meditate on. That all has to do with the heart, all that. Lean it on the Lord, Yahweh, or the Lord, Jesus. It's kind of like one of those um, beach scenes where, at least in California, we, we did this a lot at the beach where it's called skimboarding, and it's not really like skateboarding. There's no wheels on it. It's not really like surfing because it's a really small board, uh, but a really thin piece of, of wood, and uh, it probably sits to about here or something, your hip or whatever, um, and it's, you know, kind of round-shaped, but real flat. On the top, you put some wax on there so your feet kind of stick to it, but you take it, and when you go skimboarding, you find the thinnest water that comes up from the waves. So the waves come up, 
and then it's about when the water is receding, if it's a steeper bank, uh, that that's the time to start skimboarding because you want it really thin. If it's thick, it just sinks and it doesn't work. So you just, <gasps> and it's like a really lame ride. So you want like really skim, skim water. Okay, so you find that, you start running as fast as you can, like a full-on sprint with this awkward piece of wood in your hand. And you throw it on the ground and it starts kind of going next to you and you, you have to jump onto it commit to jumping onto it with both feet planted in the right spots, and then you can sail from here past the door and beyond. It's just odd what's going on with physics there. This much water, and somehow it's just planing across it all, going so fast. You can spin, you can kind of stand cool, you know, you can do whatever you want, get hit by seagulls, poop. You know, you can, you know, do all this awesome surfer kind of stuff. Uh, But it's so funny, though, the most entertaining part about skimboarding is watching someone try and fall. Um, I mean, it's just kind of like, uh, that's half the fun, is letting somebody, teaching somebody else, right? And say, here, here you go. And the thing that I always tell them is you have to jump on with both feet. You have to land with both feet. If you, if you jump on with one foot, then it tips up, or it tips to the side, and it hits the dirt, and you go down, and you fall. And wet sand with that much water is like cement. It hurts. It's like you just sprinted into cement. You know, it's kind of a dumb idea. But if you do it right, which involves jumping on with all your weight evenly over the board, relying entirely on the board, left foot, right foot planted there, it planes perfectly, and you sail. And it's so fun. Okay, anyways, that's skimboarding. All right, so we're looking at what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You you don't jump in to a relationship with God with one foot. You get hurt every time every time. And a lot of us, I fear, are, are just with a full sprint into what we think is a relationship with God, and we're in the air, and we're coming down one foot, though, going, you know, there's just this one part about me that I can't turn over to God. There's just this area that is just not, it's just, I need to figure this out. I need to work on this before I can get a relationship with God. This is, and, and we find partial commitment to the Lord. So it's, it's trust in the Lord with some of your heart as you're applying it. And that's, and that's fatal. It's dangerous. It leaves you wet, muddy, and bruised, and hurt, and skinned, and twisted knee. You know, surgeries later, you're still not well. You know, it's, it's not good spiritually. You need to jump on and commit with all that you are. The Bible talks about how dangerous partial commitment to the Lord is. Warnings abound when you see a partial commitment. Elijah called out the prophets in his day, uh, which is God? Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? Stop limping between both and having this different opinions. If he is God, then serve him. If they are God, then serve them. You see in Revelation 3.16 that the Lord says if there is those who are not hot nor cold, they're lukewarm, and he will spit them out of his mouth. So if you're partially committed to the Lord, you make a good candidate to be a loogie in his mouth. Okay? That's just kind of what you're setting yourself up for. It's gross. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And you're coming out. You're going to be rejected. You look at the rich in this present age, not those with money, but those who love money, the rich in this present age, and they become poor in the next because they have planted both feet in their riches, or at least one, fir- one foot firm in their riches and what it can do for them. You see that partial commitment makes 
wise actual fools. It makes strong actually weak. It makes those who look put together actually broken to pieces. And it makes those who are trying to be self-confident self-condemned. You've heard it probably said before that if he's not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. He's not Lord at all of your life. And we need to take heed of this warning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, let's talk about lean. Here it is in the negative. So we went from positive to now negative. Do not lean on your own understanding. This is the second part of the command here in this couplet. And it comes to us in the negative. So what does it mean to lean? As we have said earlier, it has a pairing up of meaning with trust. So trust and lean work together. Do not support yourself with something is what this means. Do not support yourself with this. Do not put your entire weight on this. Don't put your entire weight on on your own understanding. We were in, uh, speaking of mission trips, I figured it would be appropriate to share. Our our old church went to uh, Japan, and we were making a couple of um, uh, trips, picking up some of the members from the church, and and, um, we were driving from one place to another and just kind of getting to know um, Osaka, Japan, and it was kind of a a different culture, but it was really neat to check everything out. Um, the cars were different, the roads, and a lot of the traffic laws were different. But there were still seatbelts, and so we had our seatbelts on. You know, we were law-abiding um, missionaries there. And so we were kind of, uh, the team was making our way through. And so we were waiting to pick up somebody. They were taking kind of a long time. Um, probably the, the younger guys on our team uh, getting sprayed up with axe or something. And so we were waiting for them. And so finally, you know, we are kind of sitting there. And so I had the door open and kind of like looking and leaning. And, and the seatbelt just kept going out further and further and further. And I was just kind of being silly. Um, I don't know why. And so leaning out of the car, we, the car wasn't moving. We were waiting. And, and the seatbelt stopped at a certain point. It was holding me. And I was like perfectly uh, parallel to the ground, the street. And I was just kind of waiting for him. And, you know, somebody else who was on that mission trip is in this room. That woman. My wife. Um, so it's actually when my wife and I were married a year in, and she was sitting next to me. Now, um, every good wife, when they see that red button on the seatbelt, shining, looking at, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like the, the fruit on the tree, right? You're just like, I know I'm not supposed to, but I just gotta. And then, sure enough, she served me by putting me flat on my face in the street. By clicking that button, I just went down. Ah, uh, oh, who did that? Oh, the one who loves me the more than anybody in this car. Maybe I needed that, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there was a lesson for me to learn. God, Why? Uh, but it, I definitely put all my weight on that thing. So I, I, was, I was leaning. It was, it was all out. And, and we need to look, you know, at not only our, our lives like that, but we need to look at our life spiritually and see if we actually are leaning, putting that much of our weight of ourselves, full commitment on something other than the Lord. And if it is our own understanding, we have another thing coming. The button will be pushed will eject. So how should we lean? Well, not on your own understanding. Now, here's part of where sometimes we go wrong. Uh, Well, then that just means it doesn't really matter what you're thinking. Well, it's not really like a mental activity. It's more of a feeling thing. No, no, this is, this is not 
to throw mental activity out the window. If anything, you saw just in the verse before this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and to lean on Him, meaning to lean on the understanding that comes from Him. Where do we get the understanding that comes from the Lord? It's in His Word, right? So this helps us, kind of helps match these thoughts up, They're the rhyming thoughts. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart by leaning on His Word. That's where we find understanding from Him. And if we're not going to lean on the understanding that comes from His Word, but like verse 7 says, we're going to be wise in our own eyes, not fearing the Lord, okay, then we're going to lean on our own understanding. We're going to lean on the thoughts that are against God's Word. We're going to lean on the thoughts that are unbiblical. Even if they're just slightly unbiblical, those are dangerous. They're going to cause us to fall. And we need to be able to think more biblically and understand where and how it is that we are leaning. You go into universities and, and colleges and, and big schools, and, and you get ridiculed if you say that you believe in God, say that you believe in creation, a six-day literal creation over and against some kind of other theory of evolution. You get looked at like a dummy. You get treated like a dummy. There's no, there's no proper citing of sources in their minds that you could do that would be a, a, a paper that they would actually look at as credible. They would say that that's wrong. Now, what they're doing is leaning on their understanding and a system of thought that doesn't involve God or His Word. But if you live in, a, in, in God's world, God's way, you listen to God's Word. And if you're going to be someone who fears the Lord and becomes wise, you're going to live in God's world, not according to, to what we think of Him, but what He thinks of Him and of all things around us. So this secular search for, for wisdom and understanding is dangerous. And a lot of times you see Christians, or at least Christians in name, say, well, I'm, I'm looking to try to, you know, make my faith more credible. I'm looking, I'm searching still, and they have not leaned fully on the Scriptures and on the Lord. They've given in to what the world has taught them, which is untrue, that they need to find something that's more credible in order to base your beliefs. We need to have an understanding that comes outside of ourself, it can't come from in here. This is all just regurgitated junk, and it's inbred thought, and it's not right, and it's not high and lofty if we just concentrate on what's inside our noodle. Okay, if we look to the Lord, though, and if we understand His understanding that comes outside of our depraved mind and sinful nature, and it is something that pierces through the the blinders and comes through and the veil is lifted and we start to see the world in God's way, that's the understanding that you need. So we need to lean ourselves entirely on the Lord, which means to find the truth that He has communicated to us and to firmly plant ourselves in it and to lean on it and to not lean in this direction. They're rival ways of thinking. They're against each other. They're opponents. Now that third part of the command is to know. Look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm going to stop there before the consequence. Now I'm going to use the word know because the word acknowledge 
is, is lengthier, but in Hebrew, it essentially is the word know. And so it's to, to know or with, with knowledge. And so, so you have know here in all your ways, acknowledge him or, or know him in all your ways. Well, again, I'm going to ask those two questions. What and how? What does it mean to know? What does it mean to know? Well, our minds usually immediately go to knowledge that can be stored up and gained a lot of times through, through rigorous study and books and information passing from one person to another and say, I know something. I know something new. I studied something. I've gained something. I've learned something new. And, and that's where our minds go. Now, that's, that's partially true. And it involves that. But in the Hebrew sense of the word, and a lot of times the biblical sense of the word, knowing is, is only, that's only part of knowing. The other part of it has to do with a very intimate and personal knowledge. It's something that has to do with your experience. So almost kind of like the, the lecture in the lab, but a lot of times we leave it at the lecture and we go, I learned something. And you just studied a bunch of cue cards. You didn't really actually grab the frog, put it on there, start cutting, you know, until you got your hands on it. You go, yeah, it has that stuff inside of it. I've seen it. I know. I touched the frog. Okay, so that's, that's more what's talked about here. It's, it's more personal. It's more hands-on. It's more involved, and it involves knowing in a fuller way. To know him in all your ways is what it's talking about here. Know what God values. Know what he desires. Wouldn't that be cool if you could know what he desires and values? Know his words that he has spoken. To know his character that he has revealed. So you know who he is. You've experienced his character. You've trusted in his unchanging nature. To know his feelings. You say, God doesn't feel. Yes, he does. He feels deeply. And to know him on the feeling level is very intimate and very personal. To know his plan. What is God doing with all of this? What is the big picture? I wish he told me. I wish he shared that with me. I wish he showed how I fit into his big picture. He has, and he is. You know, when you become married, there's no other human relationship that is like it. You can have a roommate in college, and you can learn a lot about that person, but there's nothing like a marriage relationship. You can have a parent you're very close to. You can have a child you're very close to. You can have a dog that is super loyal and comes back every time with the tennis ball. You, you know, there's a lot of relationships that you can feel like, we've got something good. It's solid. We know each other. But there's nothing as involved as a relationship that God has designed in marriage. You share everything together. That's why he calls you one soul. You become one soul. And so it's like, wow, where do you draw the line between them? I don't know. They seem to share all their money. They seem to, to talk, uh, you know, as if all the things that they owned were each other's. Uh, they, you know, they kind of look at each other in, in ways that they go, everything that I am is yours and vice versa. Um, the sleeping arrangements, um, wardrobes, 
Some of you are like, no, we still haven't blended that yet. Um, you know, you, you, have, you have sinks that you share. You have bathrooms. Getting too personal? Well, it, it's everything blends together. You, you, you are one. It's so personal. It's so close. And when you know your spouse, you know them very intimately and personally. And that's what this knowledge is talking about here. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Be close to him. Know him and what he likes and doesn't like. Know how he would respond if you did something or if you did something else. Know his thoughts. Know his heart. Know his plan. Know his character. Know his promises. You should know these things. And then what does it say here? How should we know? Well, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him. In all of your ways. In all of your ways. This is how. So you kind of think about it for a second. Now, what are some of my ways? The way that the Bible talks about the word ways a lot of times has to do uh, with what we're doing, where we're going, and who we are. So who are you? Kind of go, well, well I'm, I'm in church. I'm a, church, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm a husband. You might say, I, I'm, a, I'm a wife. You might say, I'm a parent. I have children. I work uh, here, and this is my job. I'm a boss. I'm over people. I employ people. You might say, well, I'm still trying to get work, and I'm working really hard at getting work. You can say, I'm a student. That's that's what I am. Some of you can say, you know, you have a certain relationship with one person, other people, groups of people. You go to certain clubs. You go to certain places. You involve uh, certain social circles. And in all of those ways, in all of those roles and responsibilities that you have, you need to acknowledge him and to know him and to go with him in all of those things. Do you go into your parenting with an awareness, a close awareness and personal knowledge of God and what he wants? Do you go into your marriage thinking about what God wants for your marriage, even though everything in your mind tells you this is too hard, I want to try something different. Do you go into your schools, into your jobs, into your world, into your homes, into your communities, thinking God goes before me, and I want to know who he is and what he wants for me here, and what does he want for me there, on the field, on the side of the field, uh, in the classroom, and in these different places. I wonder if there's some people in here who will say, you know, yeah, I get what you're saying, but that, that's off limits to God. And, and you've somehow carved out, or you think you've carved out an area in your life that belongs to you, and you don't involve God in that. You don't think about what God thinks about that, because it starts to maybe change whether or not you'll have that, or it starts to change the way you start to view that, and you go, well, you know, I, I think I like the way I have it set up. God's got his piece. I've got mine. Do you live that way? If you do, if you live that way, you don't fear the Lord. If you live that way, you're not becoming wise. You're becoming foolish. If you live that way, your path will not be straight. It will be crooked. And it will be hard. But if you live in God's world, God's way, everything is his. Nothing is off limits to God in your life. You say, it's all yours. 
the stuff I own, I'm using it for you. How do you want me to use my stuff in my garage, in my barn, in my other barn? How do you want me to use my tools? How do you want me to use my money? How do you want me to use these things? Lord, this is for you. I'm acknowledging you in all of my ways. I'm not leaving anything under wraps, hidden, or away from the knowledge of you. But I'm including you in everything. So, measure up. How are you doing it? Trusting, leaning, and knowing. If you are pursuing the Lord in these ways, the consequence It will come right to you, and you already know what I'm talking about. You know what he's going to say next. You'll read it, and you go, yeah, he is doing that. Look at the second part of verse 6, the consequence. And he will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. Let me just tell you something. There is kind of maybe a, a different way of looking at this in people's minds. A lot of times people look at this verse and they go, wow, you got a lot of big decisions to make, you know, who to marry, where to live, where to work, if you should stay in your job, switch your job, uh, the marriage, all this, you know, a lot of big decisions to make. And, you know, man, well, if only the Lord just made your paths straight and they have in mind that God would just reveal what you need to do next. Now, it touches on that, but that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is a straight path. Proverbs and Solomon in Proverbs talks about two ways of living. There's one path, and then there's the other. The one path is where the upright walk. The other path is where the unrighteous walk. And wisdom is the ability to look and stand between two paths and go, this is what the Lord wants me to do. Not this. Even if you get down the way on the wrong path, wisdom and the fear of the Lord is is to be able to look and go, I'm not in the right place. I need to turn around, I need to to repent, and I need to go find that straight path. And guess what? When you learn to stay the straight path, morally straight path, decision-making does become easier. And you can trust him, and in a way that you know you're not holding him off, you're letting him in on everything. So when you let him in on everything in your life, and you're trying to honor him in every way, even if though you fail, you turn it back to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord, take this, help me. He will make straight what you need to do in every season of life. He will make it very clear how you are supposed to live, and it will be in a way that pleases the Lord and reflects that he is in charge of your life. Now, the big decisions will come. And you have to make certain decisions. Sometimes they're like, wow, I don't know what to do here. But part of that will be incorporating some of these these biblical principles that you are staying the course with, seeking counsel, fearing the Lord alone, not walking in fear, considering the, the, the things that are coming next in the book of Proverbs and then being able to walk well on that straight path. Let me just end by saying this. I... I I've wanted to be someone who trusts and leans on and knows the Lord more and more. And a lot of my life, adult life, has been fairly even. Even path, not a lot of bumps. But the bumps came at a time when I was least expecting it. I didn't know it was going to come this way. In fact, I would have said if I were to look at my life 
the 32 years I've lived so far, and maybe considering a few others out past that, I would have looked back and, and gone, well, that would be the worst place for this to change. And guess what? It happened right there. And so here I go through all these years of, of schooling beyond, you know, where I thought I needed to go, and, and the Lord just pioneering the way before me, trusting in him, turning over all these things, thinking that I'm going to, you know, serve and live and work in this place with these people at this time for this length of time. And in a very short period of time, the Lord started to change that and to, and to almost take me on some, on some kind of boomeranging change in my course that I, I was just like, whoa, 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 I, I wasn't ready for that. I, I fell over. I'm on my duff over here in the dust and going like, well, well, wait, Lord, no, 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 this isn't what we arranged, right? I mean, this is what we were thinking, right? And it was so hard because I was asking big questions like, who am I? What am I made for? Where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to live? I'm just looking to the Lord going, I, I took two years to pray. And ask the Lord, what do you want next for me? No answer that I was looking for. But every answer that he had for me. And it was helpful. And it guided me. And I'm at a place now where I feel like I'm not on my duff going, owie. But I'm going forward going, Lord, this is awesome. I had no clue that my life was going to involve this. Yeehaw! Let's go. I'm ready. It's like, that's, that's just where... The Lord has led us, and it's just like, I'm so at peace. I'm so thankful. But it hurt. It was hard. And you're probably in that place, or you've been through those places, or you're coming up on that place, where you're going to have questions, like, what, what am I doing? Where am I at? What's going on? What's next? But take heart. If you trust the Lord with all that you are, don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on Him and His understanding. If in all of your ways you're putting Him first and knowing Him, He'll make the path straight, even if it means you don't get an answer for a handful of years or ever. He'll give you the path to walk. There's a chorus of a hymn that I've grown to love, and I've shared it already with Crossroads as I've talked with them about this topic but it goes like this by John Samus. It says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So simple, yet so spot on with Scripture and in my own experience. I hope you consider God's Word this morning. Let me pray. God, thank you for your Word. We lean on it with all that we are. We pray that if there are ways that we are not leaning on your Word appropriately, that we would take this morning, if we have not already during communion, to repent and to turn and to confess and to say, Lord, I haven't been including you in all of my life. I haven't been trusting in you how I should. Lord, help Lakeside Bible Church to see Yahweh, Jesus Christ, as the one in this world who is worth trusting. There is no other name like yours, Lord. And so we trust in you and we commit our lives to you. Help us to walk that straight path that you have called us to walk in. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you for showing us where we fall short in our trust. And we pray that you would continue to expose that and show us how to trust and obey more closely. In your name, amen.